Give them a hand. All right. So why don't you rise for the reading of God's Word? We are in the book of Romans. Rise for the reading of God's Word. We're going through Romans chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I'm going to start off in uh, the middle of verse 8. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Anyone need a Bible? If you do, raise your hand. There's a Bible. She needs a Bible. (laughs) Tommy needs a Bible. Okay, so go to the middle of verse 9, where the New King James says, Now if anyone... Romans chapter 8, verse 9, middle of the verse, says this. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Father, I thank you for that. This promise that it's so hard to get our minds to, to, to wrap around, that we've been joined to Christ, that we've been joined to Jesus, the resurrected living Lord, Son of God. We're joined to Him. And Father, that we would get that today. Lord, this morning we we remember again which is coming too often, Lord, just these, the victims of these shootings that happened here in the United States of America, which is supposed to be a free country. And we pray for the families. We pray, Lord, for the family of the shooters, Lord. Just, just the wretched heartbreak, Lord, that is just, they're suffering right now. God, speak to their hearts. 
And I pray for, for the country, Lord. I just, Lord Jesus, you said even as the, Lord, you said, you said even as Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness, everyone who looks to the sun will live. Father, we don't have wisdom in these situations other than that we're told that in your word are the deep things of the spirit. There are things in this, these Bibles that we now have opened that minister to them, to us, to a country, to a world in times of distress. Lord, it, all, it does start with us. Revival starts with every man and woman in this room and throughout the world as they are worshiping you, every tribe, nation, and tongue. Just pray that you would do that work today. Move among us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Okay. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 19. When you come to the place in your life that you recognize that the way that you have lived your life falls way short of what God requires. And that you deserve God's judgment, death, or hell, or worse. But upon hearing that Jesus came to the world to save you from that judgment, and, you, and at that point, you open up your heart to God, and you cry out, save me, God! The Bible says that at that, at that split second, it's not even a split second, that moment of time, the Holy Spirit invades your life, takes possession of your life, claims ownership of your life, and he cleanses you from every wrong thing that you have ever done in your life in the past, and somehow... <laughs> Because he is God, and God does things that man cannot do, every wrong thing that will be done in your future, he cleanses as well. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, he, referring to Jesus, saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, God is the perfect gentleman. He doesn't do this just looking around at anyone, just going arbitrarily, okay, I'm going to send my spirit to him. And they're going to be, they'll have the washing and regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. All past sins cleansed, all future sins cleansed. No, the Bible says, to those who with hearts of surrender 
open up their hearts and say, save me. Come in, Jesus. Save me. To those, it says that he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we're in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Verses, verse 9, uh, rather verse... Um, 10, where we began right in the middle of it, says, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Meaning if you don't have the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, can we get Titus 3 up again, uh, Kayo? If, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your, in your life, uh, the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, this verse says you're not his. Not everyone is a child of God. God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for the world, to live for the world, so that the world uh, uh, would, would, would freely receive Jesus and, and become children of God, but not everyone chooses that. So the, so the verse again, uh, verse 10 in the middle of the verse, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Verse 10 says, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Through the Spirit who dwells in you. Now we spent a lot of time in verse 13 the last couple of weeks. Verse 13 says this, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And we spent a lot of time on that verse the last couple of weeks. What did we say about it? That verse can only be understood if you have read the previous chapter, Romans chapter 7. The, in Romans chapter 7, um, must be read if this verse, verse 13, is to be understood. That's why we study the Bible here, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, where it says in verse 13, where he says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live that's a response to uh, uh, the frustration that we read about in chapter 7 that a Christian has when they realize that even after becoming a Christian, they fail in some area of their life. And, and not only do they fail once, they fail over and over and over and over again. And here it is. 
Again, Romans chapter seven, verse 19 through 21. And, and here is, here, this is the apostle Paul talking. He, he says, for if I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do not, now do it, rather, it, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And then it says, the climax at the end of the chapter says, uh, is it verse 24, O wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So how how does Jesus do it? How does it happen? How can I be rescued from, I, I, I thought Jesus lived for me, died for me, and rose again for me. I, th- I thought I'm supposed to have power over this area of failure. Well, you do. But it's a process of time that it works out. As you understand that it is the life of the Spirit inside of you. And so that's why it says in verse 13, middle of the verse again, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So in other words, you will not kill sin in your life with, by trying really, really, really hard. If you try to get rid of your anger by trying Really, 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 really hard. If you try to get rid of that, that part of you that spends all of your day just looking around what everyone else has, wanting it. I want that. I want, it's called coveting. If you try to really, really hard to reduce the amount of hours you're on those video games, that's it. I'm going to try really hard not to. You're going to fail. It won't happen. What did we What have we been reading the last few weeks? You need, as verse 13 says, the life of the Spirit in you. Verse um, 13, middle of the verse again, says, if by the Spirit you put to death. If by the Spirit you kill the deeds of the body. And how do you kill the deeds of the body? It says, you take up that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Ephesians 6, 16 and 17 Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Meaning, you are not going to be able to defeat that life of repeated failure in the area of anger. You're not going to be able to defeat that life where you just spend the better part of your day looking around just wishing you had what everyone else has. You're not going to defeat that area of your life where you are, whatever, spending five, ten hours on video games trying to reduce it unless the word of God, you are deliberately taking it up. That's what the verse says, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6. You're taking up the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word, unless you're taking up the word of God and allowing that word of God to kill it that sword, to kill that area of your life. And, and we gave some examples of that. Now, I, 
the last couple of messages, really wanted to get in something that I didn't get in, and sometimes I just leave that and move on. But I just, I, I think this is so very necessary to bring this up when the verse says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you, you, you kill with that sword, the word of God, you, you, you kill, you literally kill the flesh, the deeds of the body, the sin in your life. It's talking about your body. It, it, it's not talking about someone else's body. It, it's not talking about you need to take that sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and, and, and go up to someone and say, you know, you need to wear a dress that's a little bit more modest. <laughs> or, 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 you know, you need to be a little bit more respectful when you talk with me. <laughs> you know, lop their tongue off. Or, or, or you, you need to stop being so lazy and you need to read your Bible more. <laughs> it's not talking about taking the sword and lopping off limbs of other people. And, and I'm not saying that there are not times to speak the truth in love, but supremely, this is talking about you. Other people, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus says, don't judge them. Don't be, judge not that you will not be judged, Jesus says in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Again, Speak the truth in love, but, but it's important to understand this. You know, as a young Christian, the more I read about the Word of God, the more I just wanted to run around and just stab people with it. I mean, I just love that. And I learned the hard way that, that that completely, completely is not the Holy Spirit in me, which is the Spirit of Christ. And Jesus gave just one, really, one adjective describing himself in the whole New Testament, meek and lowly, really the same thing. He doesn't lop it off. What he does, he does with love. And so, there you have it. I got that out of the way. I hope you receive that. Love, without love, doesn't matter if you have the faith to move mountains, if you understand all mysteries, you give your body burn to the fire. If you have, without love, you are nothing, the Bible says. So let's move on. So we read also last week, verse 14. Continue on with me. Romans chapter 8. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of bondage again to fear. Just want to repeat that. It's the most comforting verse, I think, in the entire Bible. Receive it right now. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, which means Daddy, Father. Oh, how fear binds us, chains us. We were not given a spirit of fear. Notice how it says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. That's the old life. The Bible says whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things are gone, the new things have come. So that's the old life. 
The problem is the flesh, you know, Romans chapter 7, the repeated failure, just going back to fear over and over again, says, no, you didn't receive that spirit. A bondage again to fear. You received the spirit of adoption, meaning you're now an adopted son. You're an adopted daughter by whom we cry out, Daddy, Father, Many of us in this room, we don't know that because we didn't have a father. Or the father that we had, we didn't know this kind of intimacy. This is the intimacy that God wants you to have. God the Father wants you to have with him. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, if you have the Spirit, that's where we began in verse 9, if you have the Spirit, the Spirit will tell you you're a child of God. How? By that, by that response of crying out to Abba Father, Daddy Father. So we can know. You can know. People wonder, how do I know I'm a child of God? Well, this. This is, this is spirit in, within you, just no matter how many times you fail, how many ever times you're in bondage to fear, just to cry out, oh, Father, God, please, I need you. That's evidence of sonship. That's evidence of daughtership. That's a word. So continuing on, it says in verse 16, this, uh, rather 17, it says, and if children, meaning if you are a child, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. What on the world, what in the world is an heir? It's, it's not this, it's not hair. What is an heir? An heir. Let's try this. Someone who will receive money, property, or a title when another person dies. Someone who will receive money, property, or a title when another person dies. So a son is an heir of his father and mother. A daughter is an heir of his father and mother. When they die, they have a legal right to the money, the property, or the whatever title of ownership the mother or father has. So, so let's look at the verse. It says, so if children, verse 17 says, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs of Christ. What it's saying, because you are an adopted son, that moment that you opened up your, your heart and said, save me, God, please. Save me. I need Jesus' death on the cross to save me. 
You become a son, a daughter, an adopted son. What the verse is saying, if children then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. Because you are an adopted son, because you are an adopted daughter, you are entitled by law, by God's law, by God's eternal decree, you're entitled to what God, your father, gives as an inheritance. Is everyone with me? This verse, as practically every verse in Romans 8, needs some time. What on earth does that mean? (laughs) That I'm an heir of God, a joint heir, verse 17 says, of Jesus Christ. And we take time on it because if you get it, Man, you're going to love and adore your God, your Savior, 10 times more than you previously did. If you get it, it gets into your heart. Your worship of God, your love of God, your amazement that he took a, he, he took a, a man like me, the, the, the elders of this church were on a retreat. We listened to a sermon, a biography about uh, John Newton, who was a slave trader, wrote Amazing Greats. He was a slave trader. And God took him and saved him. And he turned in one to the, what, what, a man who was able to de- declare the word of God boldly. But he was the most gentle and meek person everyone knew. People used to move into his parish just to be under his ministry. Why? Because he understood the grace of God. This is crazy. I was a slave trader. I used to pack the African people in the lowest place of the ship. Where there was no, there was just barely any room to, to, to go to the bathroom and the stench and the disease and throwing off bodies about every half hour. That was me. I did that. But God got a hold of his life. And he wrote Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a slave trader. But he got it. He was able to read that. He, he was able to, to, to write that song because he got verse 17 here that through the grace of God, he's now a child. And he's entitled to the inheritance that God's granting him. He gets the grace of God. This is what I pray for our church every week, that we would get the grace of God. We would understand who we were prior to Christ what we were and what Jesus paid on the cross and what we, who we now are and, and what we have in him. So, so it says, if, verse 17, if you're a child or because you're of a child is really a better translation, you're an heir, an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. So we know God doesn't die. If you, if you didn't know that, Now you know, God doesn't die. But he promises an inheritance to his son, Jesus Christ. God promises an inheritance in scripture to his son, Jesus Christ. Shout it out, what is it? What inheritance did God the Father promise Jesus the Son? Shout it out, someone. What? No, Jesus had everlasting life. Jesus has always lived 
He was never created himself. What did, Je- what did God the Father promise to Jesus Christ as his inheritance? The world. The world. God the Father, before time began, promised Jesus Christ the world. The world. It says in Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8, among many other places, this is a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. Now remember, the Bible teaches that God is three persons but one, and a mystery we'll never understand. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, inseparable somehow, but they're distinct personalities. They're distinct beings, it's a mystery. So here, in, uh, throughout Scripture, actually, starting in Genesis chapter 1, actually, there's conversations that take place between God the Father and God the Son. This is one of them in Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is a prophetic s- statement about Bethlehem. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your, shout it out, inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Now this, this gets deeply, deeply theological, but you, you know, it gets into really why God made the world. Have you ever wondered why God made the world? Well, actually the answer is a really long one, but theologians believe part of the answer of why God made the world was as a result of the overflow of the love of the Father for the Son. The world was made as a gift for God, the Son, Jesus Christ, by God the Father. The the world was made to be an inheritance, a gift from God the Father to God the Son. So again, Psalm 2 says it's up here, Conversation between God the Father, God the Son. This is Jesus speaking. The Lord has said to me, you're my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. So let's read verse 17 again. With that in your mind, that, that, that the world was made, among other reasons, as a gift by the Father to the Son. With that in mind, Let's read verse 17 again. It says, and if children, meaning if you are a child of God, you are an heir of God and joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. What does it mean to be a joint heir with Christ? It means that everything that Jesus inherits, inherits, you inherit too. Why? Because you have been joined to him. What is that little two-word description of a Christian that appears over 50 times in the New Testament? In Christ, everyone at the same time, 50 times. In Christ describes you at the moment that you open up your heart to to Jesus and say, yes, save me. You are joined to him and you become a joint heir, meaning you get 
what he gets. You get his inheritance. And his inheritance is the world. The book of Acts. And you, you say, now what in the world? This guy is just going off into the deep end. This is, let me try to explain at least a little. <laughs> Actually, before I do, Kayo, can you go down to 1 Corinthians 2.9? But before I do, if your mind is boggling right now that as a child of God, you inherit the world, 1 Corinthians 2.9, you're in good company. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. A child of God is an heir of God, a joint heir of Christ, and Christ inherits the world. And the Bible says, so do you, because you're joined to Christ. Let me explain a little bit more. In Acts chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but there's an extraordinary scene Written by Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he records it. The scene in Acts chapter 1, the book of Acts, remember it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then it's the book of Acts, which is a history of the first church. There's an extraordinary scene where Jesus, his last moments with his disciples is recorded before he's taken up to heaven before he's taken up to heaven. And right before he's taken up to heaven, they're asking him questions until the very end. Until the very last, really, second, they're asking him questions. Anyone remember one of the questions? Acts chapter 1, verse 6 says, it says, they asked him, saying, Lord, Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. And then it says in verse 9, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were looking steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Meaning, Jesus is coming back. Jesus actually repeatedly said to his disciples that he would die, raised from the dead, be ascend to heaven, but he was going to return. The Bible teaches that when he returns, he's going to restore the earth to what it was at one time, only so much better. It's the Bible. This is what it says. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 13 or 17, which we've been been in for the last 10 or 15 minutes, it says that you, child of God, son of God, daughter of God, are because you are a child of God, you are going to inherit this world. In other words, you're going to enjoy it. 
Now, oh God, do I pray that everyone in this room just gets a piece of understanding this. It's not as if Jesus never actually said this direct thing. In Matthew 5, verse 5, the first sermon that he ever gave, he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. A good definition of the meek is this. Jesus is God, I am not. That's a good working definition of meek. And a a man or woman who says, Jesus is God, I am not. Come in, Jesus, I need you. There's a meekness that begins to play out in their life over time, meaning meaning a humility, meaning they're not full of themselves, meaning they're, they're full of God. And it's a lifelong process. But it says they shall inherit the earth. It also should be no surprise to us that we are going, that that the earth is going, it's going to someday be ours. Because we're joined to Christ, it's going to be someday, uh, it's going to be someday ours because this is how the Bible began. Do you remember Genesis chapter 1, verse 28? Adam and Eve, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, meaning fill the earth and enjoy it. It's yours. So it, 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 it's given as a, why did God create the world? As a gift to his son. By the way, the church, th- this church and every church around the world is also a gift to his son. A bride, Jesus is called the groom in the Bible. We're called a bride. But the Bible says the, he, he, uh, the world was also a gift to him, and we are joint heirs with Christ, meaning we're going to enjoy the world someday upon Jesus' return. I know that's a mouthful. We'll continue the last half of the verse next week. In the meantime, if the worship team could come up, you know... The world now is, is talking a lot about self-esteem. Talking a lot about self-esteem. And it has really strange methods to build up self-esteem. Meaning, self-esteem, meaning you got to feel good about yourself or you're not going to be successful in life. And usually, the method of the world to build up self-esteem is to go to kids and say, you're special, you're special, you're special. You really are, you're very special. And then they get the whole class, we're special, I'm special. Because they want to build up their self-esteem. And like, every, but like everything else, you know, there's truth to that. They are special. They're made in the image of God. But you want self-esteem? How about you're a son of God? How about you're a daughter of God? How about you're going to inherit the world and enjoy it with Jesus? How's that for self-esteem? There is a, there, there's a blessed, pure, holy confidence that develops over time in a Christian's life as they understand their self-esteem, which really has nothing too much about 
themselves. It's about Christ in them, making them into who God created them to be. If you've been asked to pray, be a prayer couple, you can come up at this time. You know, this week, if you weren't here for announcements, all our Bible studies are, are closed, including Tuesday night. Don't go over to the, to the church, the Ethiopian church on Washington Street this Tuesday night. It's closed down. Why? Because every two months we shut down all the Bible studies and we gather on Friday nights for evening communion. And we just focus every other month, close everything down other than the morning prayer. And we just gather together and we focus on the blood of Christ, communion. That cup, a cup that represents, he said, it, it represents his blood. by which he purchased for you sonship, daughtership, the world. That's what he purchased for you, for me. And we share the bread and we break it, which represents what? The broken body. So if you can join us this, this Friday night, the address is in, it's in the bulletin, but... Um, Right now, I just want to close with a worship song and just an opportunity to pray. We have some people up front that can pray with you. If you could rise as we sing this closing worship song. Let's go with this. I guess two things. If you've never come to the place in your life, I went 22 years of my life going to church on and off Never once understanding that in order to be a child of God, I needed to receive him, Jesus, into my life. Receive him, the Lord, the King, the Master, into my life. Remember sitting on top of a mountain underneath a, an apple tree and realizing, I've never done this. Jesus, I mean, it says rather in John chapter 1, verse, verse 12, to as many who receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become a child of God. If you've never done that, if you've never opened up your heart and said, okay, I get it now. I've been living as the king in my own life. You're the king, not me. Come in. You're the son of God, I'm not. You, you are the one who my life is to be lived for. Come in, save me, Jesus. If you've never done that, come up. It's a prayer of faith. Or, you've just really been struggling with your self-esteem because as so many people do when they're repeatedly asked to say, I am special, I am special, I am special. You look in your heart and you don't see anything special. Do you know that's healthy? Because that's what ultimately turns people to God when they look inside and they say, okay, there's nothing in there worth looking at. And actually, it's a healthy thing. It turns their eyes to God. 
could line up people right here to give testimonies if they finally realize that they're looking inside of their own life, that what they saw there wasn't good. And so they look to God. If you just like a prayer about that, I mean, you, you are feeling like a low life looking into your own heart, and you'd like a brother or sister to come alongside of you and just pray that you would get your eyes looking to God. Come up and pray. Otherwise, let's just worship together. I'm going to close in prayer and we'll worship. Father, I just thank you for this word. Your word says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor can we ever imagine what has, you have prepared for those, who, for those who you love. But then the next verse says, but you have revealed it to us by your spirit. And, and Lord, it's what you've done today. It's a good work. And just pray as we worship now and pray. That you continue that work. We need you, Lord. We need you. You are so much bigger than our lousy self-esteem. <laughs> By your spirit, Lord, you fill us. Just with the knowledge and the wisdom and the reality of the treasures you have loaded up for us. Continue that work, Lord, as we worship in Jesus' name. Amen.